if I haven't met you yet, if you're visiting, uh, or we just you forgot who I was, that's okay too. My name's Chris. I'm one of the elders who gets to pastor here at Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God, which we'll talk a lot about this morning. Uh, but I get to pastor along with Wade here, and it's just a joy to serve this family and to be part of this family. So I'm glad you're here gathering with us. This morning, we're going to be turning to James chapter 2. And as we're continuing in our series of James, we're going to be looking at a text that is very, 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 very difficult for many people to reconcile. That means, kids, it's difficult for people to understand what it's doing in the Bible when they read other things in the Bible. Because sometimes people read it and they go, wait, that doesn't make sense with this other thing this other guy in the Bible said. And in fact, what we're going to read this morning has been the cause of so much controversy throughout the history of the church. So much so that people have just fought and fought and fought over this. So much so that a man named Martin Luther, who was a great theologian of the reformation of the church. Kids, you don't even know what that means. Don't worry. But a guy who's a lot smarter than me is what you need to know. So much so that he wanted to take the book of James and rip it right out of his Bible because he thought it didn't belong in there. And Martin Luther had a lot of great things to bring to the church, and he was a lot smarter than me, and so I'm not trying to get down on him today. But it's, it's been very confusing for a lot of Christians, a lot of people trying to follow Jesus, to look at what we're going to read this morning and go, wait a second. This sounds different from what I thought the good news of Jesus was, that Jesus just saves me and I didn't have to do anything on my own, which is true. And so we're going to try to understand that this morning, and I get the beautiful task of being able to talk about something that even Martin Luther didn't get with all of our kids here this morning. So in order to do that, we need to understand that we don't look at the Bible as a textbook for us to study. We don't look at it and use what us grown-ups call systematic theology, where we try to get a system of understanding things, right? That can be very helpful in understanding things, but if that's the only way we look at the Bible, then we're missing something, because what it also is, is the true story of God and all the world. And so we need to understand how this fits into that true story. And not only is it the true story, but it's an ongoing story that is alive, the story that God is narrating the story that he invites you and I to be a part of even here today. And so we're going to just do a little bit of a recap briefly on what that story is. And so for you parents, if your kids don't have one of these, we do have at the table back there just a little handout for the kids to take notes and follow along. And part of that is following along where we are in the story of the Bible. If you are an adult, you can use that as well. I love taking notes on this thing. But if not, if you're like, oh, I'm too old and boring for that, then you can use this plain piece of paper that's also back there, okay? So that works just as well. But we have what we call the true story symbols. Are any of our kids familiar with the symbols that we use to tell the story of the Bible? I'm going to take that as a no. All right, a couple hands went up. You guys are just being too polite in here. I was expecting some shouting. So Andy, if you wouldn't mind putting that up there, these are six symbols that we use to remind ourselves of the true story of God and all the world that is found in the Bible, all right? And so it's one true story, but we break it up into six parts to remember how that story goes. And that first down arrow, what does that represent, kids? Go ahead and say it. Yeah, creation. It's a down arrow because God came down and he created 
He even created man with his own hands. So he gets his hands dirty. And he walks and talks with the first man and woman. There, right on this earth. So God comes and he's very much a part of his creation. It's his and he loves it, right? But then that next symbol, that X, what does that mean? Yeah, sin or rebellion, right? We rebelled against God. We decided we don't need you. We could do this on our own. We don't need to listen to you. We know what's best for our lives, right? And so ever since that moment, as God's creatures, his creation, in opposition against him, that means we're against him, and we're against his creation that he made, things started breaking down. People started getting sick. It was harder to work. It was harder for moms to have kids. Everything for life became much harder, and the world started dying. People weren't supposed to die. But when we rebelled against God who gave us life, that's what started happening. And so the next arrow pointing forward is God comes and he gives a promise. He says, listen, I know that this looks bad. I know that you just rebelled against me and you've made yourself my enemy and now you have nothing left but death to come to you. But I love my creation and you're part of my creation and I want to restore you. That means I want to make you whole and right again. I want to make it good again. So God gives a promise. One day I'm going to send someone to come and fix all of what you just broke. And that's what the whole Old Testament is. Pointing forward to this promise until one day what we see in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is this rescuer that God promised comes in the form of Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life. He does all the right things. He says all the right things. He thinks all the right things. He loves all the right ways. He cares for people. He heals people who are sick. He even raises people from the dead. But then, not only does he live the way we're supposed to live, he takes the death that we were supposed to take too. And so Jesus, God himself, in the form of a man, dies for us. Does he stay dead though, kids? No way. Remember, he's God. He's the giver of life. He's the one who created all life. And so God... The spirit of God raises Jesus back from the death, back from the grave, and he is victorious. He beats, yeah, you can clap for that. I like it. I don't know if that's why she was clapping, but it's why we're clapping now, right? She's probably just like brushing stuff off her hands. So Jesus rises from the grave victoriously. He beats death. He beats sin. He does it all perfectly. And then he says, this is for you, that you get to be part of this too. Just like I was risen from the dead, you get to be risen from the dead too if you trust in me, if you have faith in me, if you follow me. One day, Jesus said, he said, right now I'm going to go be with my father again, the one who sent me. Don't worry, I'm giving you my spirit to empower you, to be with you until I come back. One day, that last symbol, that down arrow again, because God will once again come down to his creation and renew all of his creation, make it perfect the way it was supposed to be, and live with us forever. That's good news, right? Right? Bella, did you have a question? It's okay. I don't mind questions. Okay. I answered it already? No. You just like stretching. Cool. So one day, that's what we're going to see. That's how the story ends. It's a good story. But in between, this is where we live, where that other arrow pointing forward is with the M. That stands for the mission of God, Missio Dei. That's who we are. We're invited into that as his church, as his people. And so where we're at this morning as we're looking in the book of James is James 
is this man who happened to be the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. Could you imagine that? Like, you and Jesus had the same mom, but you know, like, he's also not really a normal person like you. He's God. He's the son of God. Man, that's a lot to live up to, right? So James, who spent his whole entire life with Jesus, writes this letter to other people who are now following Jesus. And he gives them this letter, and that's what we're reading this morning. And he gives us this letter to say, listen, you've seen that Jesus is real, and he came and he saved us, and you know that Jesus is coming back again. But until then, in this in-between space, how should you live? And guess what? You and I, we're all in that same in-between space. We're still waiting for Jesus to return. And so what James wrote to the people back then is true for us today, okay? And what James is saying is, listen, life's going to get hard. It's going to be tough. But don't lose faith in Jesus. Stay strong in your faith. And if you have faith, this is how you should live because of your faith. Something that you guys don't know about me is I happen to be the world's best basketball player. Why are you laughing? This is true. I I am the best basketball player that you would ever see. You're not going to see it because I don't like playing basketball anymore, and so I, I just don't do it. But, like, I've got a jump shot that you wouldn't believe. Like, I make, I can dunk all over LeBron James. It's insane how good I am at basketball. You believe me? Bella does. My dad's over there laughing because <laughs> he knows I was a wrestler in high school. And wrestlers and basketball players actually don't really get along. And wrestlers can't play ball at all. No, if I just said I was the best basketball player in the world, how would you know if that's true? You would need proof, right? I would have to show you my jump shot. I would have to show you how I could dunk on LeBron James. Some of you are like, who's LeBron James? I would have to show you by playing basketball, by you seeing me do this thing I said that I am, right? That's the only way you're going to know. I can say it all I want, but it doesn't make it true, right? And that's kind of what we're going to look at in the text this morning. And what James is saying is, listen, you could say all you want that you have faith in Jesus, but where is the proof to that? So turn with me, if you will, to James or Swipe on your phones. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some at that table back there. And we're looking at James chapter 2. And Anthony did a great job of the first part of chapter 2 last week, looking at, hey, listen, James is saying, if you really have faith in this Jesus, then it's going to show in the way that you treat one another. And James is continuing that thought as we pick up in verse 14. So I'm going to read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And James writes this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works. 
and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning. God, I pray that the words that are coming out of my mouth and what my heart is dwelling on and thinking in my head would all be pleasing and acceptable to you. God, that you would set a guard over me that nothing that is not true about you or of your word would come out of my mouth this morning. That we would all be brought up to maturity and faith in Jesus by the power of your spirit. Amen. So, we just read James saying some pretty intense stuff about people who say they have faith, but don't show it with their works. He calls it useless. He calls it dead. That's a pretty strong word, right? And the reason so many people have come to this before and had a really hard time understanding what it's doing there is because there's been other things written by other apostles, one by the name of Paul specifically, That seems to contradict that. And so let's take a look at those side by side. If we throw up a verse from James on here real quick. James 2 verse 24, we just read this. He said, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, right? And you say, wait a second, aren't we saved by faith alone in Jesus? Like I thought the good news is I don't have to do anything to prove myself to God. I'm saved by faith alone in what Jesus has done. He's done it all. And in fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Hold on a second. Hold on. James is saying you can't be justified just by faith alone. You need works too. And now Paul's saying we say you are justified by faith apart from works. Kids, justified just means that you are made right before God. It's kind of like if you were going to court and someone was trying to prove you were guilty of a crime and then the judge says, no, 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 you have been declared innocent. That's justified, okay? And so how are we made right before God when we've rebelled against him, when we've sinned against him, when we said, God, we don't need you. We can do this better on our own. And it seems like Paul's saying, well, all you need is faith in Jesus. You don't have to do anything. And it seems like James is saying, well, if you aren't doing anything, then you probably don't have faith. That saves you, right? And so how do we reconcile those things? That means how do we take those two things and bring them together so that they're friends again? Do you guys have any ideas? 
I need some help. Huntington had an idea? No? Do them both? Ooh. I like the way kids think. I like the way kids think. It's interesting. Whenever I see this argument, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because the people who have a hard time with this are people who have grown up in the church, typically, and who have studied a lot and go, wait a second, I don't understand this in my head, especially if they came to faith through reading Paul's writings like Romans, right? But typically, people who have a hard time with this are stuck in Romans. And here's what we got to understand. Paul wrote a lot more than just to the Romans too. We got to take that into context, right? And Paul's writing to the Romans who are working so hard to try to prove themselves before God. And he's trying to say to them, listen, relax. Jesus has done all the work. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Rest in him. And James, James is writing to a different group of people, to believers who are just going, you know what? I'm good. Jesus did this for me. All right, I don't got to worry about nothing. I just go back to normal life now. And he's going, no, 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 you don't get it. If that's happened, if, if Jesus has saved you, it should do something to you, right? It should transform you a little bit. And so I want to throw up another writing from Paul. And we went through the book of Ephesians not too long ago as a church family. So this is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes this. This is very, very Paul, what we just saw in Romans, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Right? Good news. Like, you can't go around bragging like, yeah, I'm a Christian. God loves me so much because I'm so good. Like, no, you weren't. It's a gift. It was given to you. You didn't earn it. It's not pay that you got for a job. It's a gift given to you freely by God. That's what Paul's saying. But hold on. His letter's not over yet. The next verse, that's verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. For we are his, that's God's workmanship. That means that God made us. We're his creation. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why were we saved? By grace, through faith, for Good works. Yeah. There's a reason God has saved us, right? There's a reason he has been gracious to us. There's a reason we have faith. God, here's, here's the order, okay? If we're trying to do this in, in our heads systematically, here's your order for you. Grace given by God gives you a faith that will produce fruit. Grace of God gives you a faith, it's a gift in Jesus, that will produce fruit. It will. And if it does not, James is saying, is it really, truly faith at all? If you notice in verse 24, what did he say? He said, you see that a man has faith by his works, right? He doesn't say a man has faith because he first did the work to get it. He said, you see that a man has faith 
by his works. That's the proof. That's the proof that I'm a great basketball player because I could dunk all over my nine-year-olds in the driveway when we set the hoop this high. It's impressive. You need to see it. There is something that it is producing that makes it evident. Okay? Now, here's the problem is when we get to verses like this, when we get to scripture like this, and all of us, especially we've been Christians for a long time, we're, we're reading this, we're hearing this, and we're going, oh, man, am I doing enough then? I, like, look at the things I've been doing. Does that mean I'm not really saved? And this fear can sometimes start to creep in for some of us if we're honest, Right? But the gospel is good news. Remember, you aren't saved by works you've done to create this faith in you. You are saved by grace. Now you have a faith. Now live that out. Andy, if you could throw that next picture up there for me. All right. I only want to hear from the kids in here because you adults, you've been around longer. You, you probably know this. Kids, what kind of tree is that? How do you know? It's an apple tree because it has apples on it? Are you sure? They're big ones too, yeah. It's pretty obvious, right? You know an orange tree is an orange tree when there's orange growing on the tree. You know an apple tree is an apple tree when there's apples growing on the tree, right? Right? What determines if the tree is going to grow oranges or apples? The seed. Is it an apple seed? Is it an orange seed? Yeah. So we know that you love Jesus when you are doing the things that Jesus calls you to do. Why? Because what you are rooted in is the love of Jesus. We know you love other things when you are pursuing other things outside of what Jesus called you to do because you are rooted in the love for those other things. Does that make sense? Hold on, though. What if sometimes I do a little bit of both? Right? What if sometimes it's a little bit of each? Let's, let's take a step back. Let's stop worrying about what Paul said and what James said. Why do we always compare what James said to what Paul said anyway? Paul's just another man. How about we compare it to what Jesus said, right? Let's take a look at what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. Jesus sometimes says some pretty bold things. Some things that, like, we need to listen to, but we don't like listening to, right? And Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, saying, not everyone who calls me their Lord, their King, their Savior, right? Not everyone who professes that Jesus is Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whoa. That sounds a lot like the works, or I'm sorry, the faith side of things, right? Like, these guys are like, wait a second. Jesus, we did all these things for you. We did all the things that we thought we were supposed to do, all the right things. And Jesus says, but I didn't know you. You didn't know me. It's not about the work that you do. It's about the faith that you have in me. But then, okay, so one, one point faith, right? Let's see if works comes back swinging hard. Then we see in Matthew 25, though, this same Jesus is talking to people. And at the end of Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the final day when he does return again, the end of that story, when he comes back. And he says, this is what's going to happen, is I will separate all people into two groups. He calls one group sheep and another group goats. It's not, you don't want to be a goat. And so he separates people into two groups, and he says to the people who he calls his sheep, he loves, he says, you are saved, you are welcomed to my kingdom. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was sick or in prison, you visited me. You prayed for me. You cared for me. And he says to the other group, no, get out of here. Depart from me because when I was hungry, you gave me no food. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was sick, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. You didn't comfort me. Now, hold on a second. That sounds like a point for works, right? So is it, which is it, Jesus? Like, doesn't matter what I do, only if I know you, or I better do these things. And some of us are in our heads going right now, okay, hold on, did I feed enough people? Did I bring enough water bottles to people on the street? Um, did I do all these things Jesus just laid out? Like, we want to make a list and go, this is what we got to follow and do just enough to get by, don't we? Is that just me? All right, it's just me. Shows how wicked my heart is. We want to make this list and go, what is enough? What do I got to do? How do I know when I've fulfilled it? How do I know when I've done it so that I can be saved and welcomed in? Listen to the difference between the, the works listed. Okay? When these people are coming to Jesus in Matthew 7 saying, hey, Jesus, we did all these really great, powerful things. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We taught really good sermons. Isn't that enough? Compare that to the list of things Jesus tells his people he's looking for. You fed others. You cared for others. You sat with others that no one else would spend time with. It's a completely different list, isn't it? And what is the difference? The difference is one is about me looking important and awesome and powerful because I'm standing on the right side of the argument. And the other one is about pouring yourself out selflessly to love other people. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't want to do that often, do we? We don't. I don't want to love other people. I don't like other people sometimes. I'm just being honest. Can anyone else relate? Like, what does Seinfeld say? People. They're the worst. Kids, don't worry who Seinfeld is, okay? 
because we're all selfish at our core. We all just want to do what makes us comfortable right now, what makes us feel good right now, what makes us happy right now. We want to make sure we're safe and secure, right? And how do we get out of that? We look at the seed. The fruit will resemble the seed. What are we rooted in? What are we nourished in? What is it that we are abiding in, as Jesus says? Jesus says this. I think actually we have the text on the screen here. Thank you, Andy. John 15. Jesus tells his followers, those who say they have faith, those who say they are following after Jesus, those who he told, hey, listen, if you want to follow me, this is what you got to do. You got to pick up your cross and carry it. What does that remind us of? How Jesus carried his own cross to his death sacrificing his life for the sake of others because he loved them. He's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be with me, you got to love people that same way. And here's how, John 15, abide in me. Does any kid know what abide means in here? Abide. You know, Maya? What is it? Yeah, look at your dad. No? Anyone want to help her out? Ben, what does abide mean? To live by it. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. What else? Huh? Connected. Yes, this is good. Okay. So to live by it, connected. I'm going to like bring those together and let's say to live in it. Oh, did you have one, Ethan? Sorry. Bonded to it. Yeah. Yeah. To live in it. Wrapped up in it, connected to it, bonded to it. To abide means that you are fully, fully rested in it. And so Jesus is saying to do that with him. And he will do that with us. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. James isn't talking about doing a bunch of work so that we can get saved. Because apart from Jesus, we have no hope of doing that. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope of loving other people. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope of loving God. But if we are abiding in Jesus... And Jesus promises to abide in us, then we can produce much fruit. And what does this fruit look like? Do you mind going to that next verse for me, Andy? John 15 again says, Jesus says, This is my commandment. Okay, so if we want to talk about what are the works that we need to do, what do we got to do? Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you. Let's go back to James real quick. James says some pretty harsh stuff, doesn't he? He says, if you have faith, or you say you have faith, and you don't have works, it's useless. It probably isn't faith at all, or it's a faith in something else completely different than Jesus. Then he goes further and says, if you have a faith 
without works that look like what Jesus did, then it's dead. A tree that's supposed to have fruit and doesn't produce fruit for year after year after year is a dead tree. It's useless. What does faith in Jesus do? It saves us from death into life, doesn't it? And so if your faith is a dead faith, it's not a faith at all. And this is what he says. He says, listen, you say, this is in verse 19, you believe that God is one. Good. Who he's quoting there is a prayer that the Hebrew people knew very well in this day called the Shema, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, which would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Because all these other nations, they believed in all these different gods. Like there's a God for your food, there's a God for your water, there's a God for this and that. And Israel said, no, there is one God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? And so he says, listen, you're saying, yeah, God is one. Great. You got the right theology. You got a good understanding. But this is what he says in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that. It's almost like he's saying, good for you. Give yourself a pat on the back. What does that mean? You say you're the best basketball player, show me. The demons have that same knowledge and understanding as you do. Listen, the demons confess that Jesus was the son of God before any other human on earth did when he confronted people who were possessed. The demons feared Jesus. That's what James writes here. They believe that God is one and they shudder. The demons would ask Jesus for permission for things. And he was casting them out. They would say, okay, but, but at, least, at least cast us into those pigs over there. They had to, they respected his authority in a sense. The demons have better theology than I do. The demons know who God is. And what I'm afraid of is that there are so many of us who are going through life with the right knowledge, the right understanding here. And even we have that fear that the demons have of shuddering. Like, I, I don't want to go separated from God in eternity in hell when I die, and so I'm going to do the things he's told me to do. And it's driven by fear, or it's driven by a pride of knowledge that puffs us up, and it never moves from here to here, from our head to our hearts, which will flow into our hands, the works that we do. And I'm afraid, too, that too often we are training our kids up in that same way. Make sure they memorize the right things, Make sure they have the right behavior. Make sure they look nice on the outside. Listen, I'm not saying we don't do those things. Those are important. All right? I, I wouldn't be one of the elders at a church that has them recite a memory verse every month if I didn't think that was important. But are we nurturing their hearts so that they understand what the demons didn't have? That though they had the knowledge of who God is, of who Jesus is, that though they feared him and his power and his authority, they didn't delight in him. They don't find joy in him. They don't transform their lives around him. And this is the faith that James is telling us, compelling us, 
to strive for, to examine our hearts to see if we have? Do we have a love and a joy for Jesus? Do we delight in him? Examine the things that you've spent your time on this past week and ask yourself that question. Don't read this in James or anything else in scripture and go, well, what then must I do? What do I have to change so that I can just skirt by? But ask yourself the question, what is it I am loving? What is it I am delighting in? What am I finding joy in? And listen, even for the believer who has faith, we got to retune ourselves that way sometimes, right? Just like you got to retune a guitar every now and then. We know and we find joy in Jesus, and yet this stuff in this world keeps pulling our hearts back. And our hearts deceive us. And we go, oh, but this looks really good over here. And we need to examine ourselves daily and ask that question, what is it I am finding joy in? What am I finding delight in? What am I loving? And if you are a follower of Christ or not, when you ask yourself that question, follow it up with this one. Are those things I am loving producing in my life good fruit? What are these things I am loving, I am abiding in, I am resting in, producing in my life? There's another slide up there, Andy. Thank you for doing that. In 1 John 4, John writes this, convinced of what Jesus taught him and the other apostles, John echoes Jesus in saying, if we love one another, Again, this isn't what makes us abide. This is the proof of it. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Abide in Jesus. The next verse down. But this is how. John writes in verse 19, we can only love because he first loved us. I love that James ends this with two examples for us. He throws out the example of Abraham. You guys know Abraham, kids? Father Abraham, he had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. Let's all praise the Lord. Do our kids sing this song? I sang it growing up. Father Abraham, this great example to the Jewish people that James is writing to who are now following Jesus, they know who Abraham is. They know he's the guy that God came and called and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. My people are going to be your offspring. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will love you and protect you. This is a great call for Abraham. Like what an amazing call, right? Who wouldn't want to be Abraham? And then he gives another example of this prostitute girl named Rahab. All you need to know, kids, is, is she was doing some things that is not good to do, but she was doing them because of things that were done to her that were not good. She was a young girl who was not cared for in her society, in her culture, and was forced into a way of life for self-preservation. And it wasn't the things that God wants us to do. It wasn't the good works that we're called to. And James gives us these two examples of Father Abraham and Rahab. 
You don't sing Rahab songs in children's church. I don't want to know how that would go. (laughs) Two completely different ends of the spectrum. And James is saying, look at both of them. Did they not show a great faith by their response to what God had done for them? Abraham, who was willing to offer up his son as a foretaste of how God would offer up his son Jesus for us. Because he had faith as God would provide. And Rahab, Rahab who was willing to risk her life, she was not a Jewish person. She was living with the enemy. And when the Jewish spies were coming in to take the land that God had promised them, she helps them. Because she heard about this God who saved them from despair out of Egypt. And she said, this is a God who can save me too. She trusted that enough to make a bold action. A faith in action. A faith that works. And she is counted in here now, not just as a woman of faith, but did you know, kids, she is one of the ancestors of Jesus. And what's beautiful about all of this is what James, the word James uses to refer to them. Abraham did this. It was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. I think I have one more verse, maybe, Andy. Did I put it up there? John 15, when Jesus is saying to abide in him, he says this, greater love. If you abide in me, you will love. Because I loved you first, you will love. There's no greater love than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Abraham was called a friend of God. Rahab, a friend of God, an ancestor to Jesus himself. And listen, that same offer, that same invitation is held out to you and I today. No matter what you have been placing your hope and your love and your delight and your joy in, no matter what kind of fruit that has been producing up until this point, the good news of what James wrote, what Paul wrote, what Jesus said and came to do is that Jesus wants to call you his friend. And what does he do for his friends? He loves them by giving himself up for us. Jesus loves you so much he gave his whole life that you would find love in him. And when you have that love, you will love other people. It's the fruit of that seed.